The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. For you guys that don't know me, my name is Gar Bozeman. Uh, worked at Snowbird for a season. I've been working overseas a bit lately. Uh, if you do know me, not much has changed since the last time, except I got another mouth to feed in the house, which seems to be a Snowbird thing. Everybody's got like a dozen kids. I've got five now. Uh, so I, I, uh, I, I do quite a bit of traveling to Africa. I met a guy there, another pastor in Togo, who's got the same problem I, I do. He's got like eight or nine kids. And so I, I met him, and I said, uh, I said, how many kids you got now? And he said, we, we just had number eight. And I said, oh, you having a hard time figuring out what's causing that? And they don't speak sarcasm there. And so he's like, no, I know exactly what's causing that. I was like... <laughs> You missed the joke, man. Like, it went right over your head. But I did say, I say, you know, there, there are procedures, right? Like, you can, you can do something about that to stop it. And he goes, yeah. He just kind of hangs his head. I was like, I, I get it. I get the feeling. Nobody's real excited about it. And so he's, you can tell he's kind of contemplating it. And then he goes, but can, can I ever be with my wife again after that? And I'm like, yeah, of course you can. Like, I mean. Give it a couple weeks, frozen bag of peas, you'll be okay. No frozen bag of peas in Africa. Give it three weeks. You need an extra week. You'll, you'll be all right, though. And he's like, really? Three weeks, that's it? And I'm like, yeah, give it three weeks. You'll be fine. He goes, and I just thought that after they, you know, and I was like, whoa, who told you that? That is, that is not what that is. And I would not be your friend if I was recommending that to you. So we're talking this morning about boundaries in the home. That's not the boundaries we're talking about. We're going to talk about practical boundaries in the home. And so this morning, I want to give you three boundaries for every home. So as the primary faith trainer in your children's lives, the first boundary that needs to be modeled to them needs to be modeled in your marriage. And so the first boundary I want to teach you guys is that three's a crowd, okay? Three's a crowd. Genesis 2, 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So that first part there says, therefore a man shall leave his mother and his father. So what we need to be careful to do as husbands and wives is to model well that leaving part, okay? So one of the first things that happens a lot in dysfunctional families is this thing called the triangle game. And if you haven't heard of the triangle game, I promise when I write it up here, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. So there's this breakdown in communication, right? There's this triangle where you'll have a wife over here and a husband over here, and then usually in between them, you have a mother and a, or a father, possibly, that kind of get in the way, right? They're the ones that the communication runs through. And so this mother or father is always the go-between between a wife and a husband. The way that usually works is wife is upset with husband. She doesn't really know how to confront him. She hasn't been taught how to do confrontation, so what she does instead is she goes to mother-in-law and she starts telling mother-in-law all the bad things about her husband. And it starts flowing. And now, on the other end, husband's confused. He doesn't know what's going on with his wife and he's like, man, I just, I don't know. I bet her mom knows. And so now husband starts calling the parents. Hey, what's wrong with so-and-so? What's the problem? What they've done here is they've broken down communication between husband and wife and made the mother or father the stabilizing piece in that relationship. They're the one that holds all the, all the power. So now, mom and dad, 
They got the kids on a short leash. They have all the information, all the power, all the control, and there's absolutely no communication happening down here. The same thing happens in homes between our children, right? We have to get this right as husbands and wives because if this is what we model to our children, then what we're setting them up for is what's ultimately going to lead in their relationships. They're going to become dependent on you, and you're going to find yourself being that stabilizing factor, the one that's mediating everything because it hasn't been modeled in the home properly. So this is actually how children, if you guys, how many of you guys have children here? All right, have you noticed, like, that's kind of how children are already naturally wired? When they can't resolve things between one or another, they, they come to you and have you resolve it for them. So if you're doing this as a husband and a wife, you're living like an adult on the outside, but you're functioning as a child on the inside. So we have to be clear on how we model that. The second part of that passage is that the two shall become one flesh. And so just like we modeled the leaving piece, we also have to model the cleaving, the uniting and the holding together. And so again, the same thing kind of happens. We have a daughter over here or a son, and then we have, we'll say dad in this scenario, and then mom up top. So how does this play out? Daughter gets mad at dad, and she really doesn't know how to tell him because there's not a TikTok video that can tell your dad that you're mad at him because we don't know how to communicate anymore. And so daughter can't talk to dad, and she's just like, she's so upset. She doesn't know what to do. So what does she do? She goes to mom. She goes, mom, dad doesn't listen to me, and blah, blah, blah. And all mom is hearing is going, oh, my God, my daughter's talking to me. We're having a real conversation. This is awesome. And she just grabs a hold of it, and she starts riding it. Now, dad doesn't have communication with daughter, can't really figure out what's going on. He's a big knuckle dragger like me. And he comes to his wife, and he goes, hey, seems like something's going on with our daughter. And his wife's like, oh, yeah, you want to talk about it? Yeah, we'll talk about it. And she's like, another meaningful conversation. Two conversations in one. So what has mom made herself? She's a stabilizer in the relationship between the dad and the daughter. So now mom is the one that's feeling important, the one who's bringing the structure to that relationship, and neither dad nor daughter are growing either in communication or conflict resolution. As parents, the way we have to function is we have to cleave, we have to be united. And so what mom should do in this scenario, or if it's you as a father, your children are coming to you, you need to make it very clear to them, stop. Right now you have a problem with your mother or with your father, whatever it is, stop. Because this was my spouse first before it was your parent. What you're doing right now is not just trying to create division between the two of you you're trying to divide me and my spouse and that's not going to happen so if you have a conflict you need to take it up with them primarily if for some reason they can't communicate directly then there needs to be a shift in the communication so now before anything is said mom and dad Mom and dad are united with a focused message towards the child, okay? This is how we have to model it in the home. Otherwise, like I said, what we're doing is we're setting our children up for unbalanced relationships and impractical ways to communicate, and you're going to cripple them in their future relationships as spouses and parents to their children.
Next thing we want to model. Honesty is the best policy. Boundary number two. Honesty is the best policy. Proverbs 28, 23 says, He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. You will gain more favor with your children through honesty than with flattery. I, uh, I had a conversation with our son, our oldest son. He's 14. He's playing varsity football now, and he's, he's pretty proud of himself. He's, he's a decent athlete. And he started noticing that because of some injuries, some other freshman boys that played on the team started moving up. They started not just being second string, but they actually, they're starters now. And so he started to get frustrated by that. He's starting to see his peers kind of pull away from him. And so he comes to me and he's, he, he starts venting this frustration and complaining and going, Dad, I just, I don't understand why they get to start on varsity. You know, I'm just as strong. I'm just as big. I'm just as fast. And he's going on and on. And so I stopped him where he was at. And I said, listen, I said, actually, I said, I'm actually really happy that you're not starting varsity right now. And I'm actually happy that you're upset about what's happening because what I've seen in your life over the past month is a lack of humility. I've noticed arrogance growing inside of you. And I've noticed that you're starting to care a lot more about the things of the world than actually pursuing Jesus and allowing him to define you. And so I'm okay with you struggling right now. Now, what's not okay is to point out a flaw in your child and to say, hey, you're being really arrogant right now. You need to cut that out and then walk away and not coaching them through that. If you're, if you're willing to address a character flaw in your child, then you also need to be willing to be the spiritual leader in that home and coach them through that as well. And so you have to be engaged. And so even though our children don't always like our honesty, they will respect your honesty, and a lot of times they'll respond to that. And so if you don't make your children aware of their weaknesses, they're going to be blindsided by them later on. That's the reality of it. If we try to hide it from them and hope they grow out of it and, oh, it'll, it's just an adolescent thing, no, it's not just an adolescent thing that they're going to drift into the right answer. It's your role as spiritual leaders in the home to be constantly discipling and develop your, your kid. And so one of the models that's been helpful for us is we ask our kids three questions, all right? And so I'm going to give them to you. First one is who are you trying to get a response from? Who are you trying to get a response from? The second question was what response were you hoping for? What was the response you're hoping for? And then lastly, what was the response that you got? So who were you trying to get a response from? What response were you looking for? And what was the response you got? And so as I walk my son through this, right, as I, as I talk about, listen, you're complaining about this. This is what I'm seeing in your life. We start to unfold that. What comes out is he goes, well, who was I, I was hoping to get a response out of you. Okay, what was the response that you were looking for? Well, I was hoping that you would go talk to the coaches for me and that you would fi figure out while well, I'm not playing. Okay, well, that's not my job. That's not my role. I'm not your coach. You have to resolve that by yourself. So we start to unfold these things. Say, okay, well, what was the response you got? You told me I needed to change my focus. Absolutely. You need to shift your focus. You're, you're allowing yourself to be defined by a title and a position on the athletic field rather than what Christ says about you and how you're growing as a young man. I'm not interested in you being a great athlete. I'm interested in you being a great husband and father one day. No matter how good you are as an athlete, that stuff's going to perish. You're always going to be a husband and father for the rest of your life. 
And so by doing that, now the next time that happens in his life, he's run that series of questions through his head, and now he actually is equipped with his own tools. He can feel that complaining spirit come up inside of him. He can start to digest it, and he goes, huh, who am I trying to get a response out of right now? What am I really looking for? What am I hoping to get? And what's the response I'm going to get in return? And so you're actually equipping your child for their own conflict resolution and their own boundaries and relationships and understanding how to internalize things and process things at a much more mature level. It's been a really helpful tool for us. It's so important for us to teach our kids these skills at this age because, listen, if you don't like that super passive guy at work that just can never say what he means or you don't like that really insecure woman who can't ever tell her husband how she really feels, then why in the world would you raise one? You need to give them the tools to address conflict, address it in wisdom, but also to understand their own emotions, uh, emotions, their own motives, their own feelings. Okay. The third and final thing we're going to talk about in boundaries is boundaries in social media and dating. How many of you guys have teenagers right now? How many of you guys have had to deal with social media and dating? Yeah, it's a thing. It happens. One of the questions you get asked often is, well, how do I manage my kids' social media? First off, you can say no. Like, that's a legit answer. No. Me and my wife, we're in a position right now where that is the answer for our children when it comes to social media. No. The risks just don't outweigh the rewards. Like, the reality is, is regardless of, of all the apps that you can download on phones and all these things, at best, you can probably manage your child's contacts, but you can never manage your child's content. You can manage the contacts and the people they have access to, but you're never going to be able to manage the content that those people send them. And it's only a matter of time before somebody is inevitably going to send your son or daughter an explicit image that they will never be able to unsee. I was with a a pastor in Charlotte uh, this past week, spending some time with him, and, and he said at the local high school there, what's going on in that group is young girls are sending nude pictures of themselves to high school boys and it's become a trading card game like you would do baseball cards these boys are trading photos of girls around and and the girls are a part of it and so this big circle is happening so all these kids are getting exposed to this explicit content value worth relationships all these things are, are bearing under the weight and they're collapsing under the weight of this but I think what a lot of parents don't realize is if your child has photographs on their phone or they're circulating photos on their phone of their peer groups who are under the age of 18 now they're culpable for possession and distribution of child pornography and that's a felony offense and, but your children, they, they're not processing that foresight. They're like, oh, it's just photos. It's just pictures. We're just, it's just this and it's just that. The dangers of social media right now are so high. It's really hard for me as a father to justify my kids having access to that. There may be, there may be a time where there's a platform that I feel is safe enough and, and allow my son to engage in that. But we're not in that season right now. And I don't know if we ever will be. Uh, until he's mature enough to handle that himself. 
And so you can always say no. Also, the boundaries in your home affect the boundaries in your teen's dating relationships. I don't know if you guys realize this, but the boundaries that you form in your home, especially considering the people you allow to come and go through your doors, is a way of setting boundaries in your teen's dating relationships. So there's, there's a ditch on both sides, right? Okay, There are those parents that go, you will absolutely never date, don't have feelings for everybody, you just need to squash that desire. Whenever you get out of college, you can worry about dating. End of story. All right. Then there's these in this camp over here that are pouring fuel on the fire and just living vicariously through their kids and trying to play matchmaker and hook them up. And, oh, yeah, and it, and it becomes a big game to them. We, we got to find this middle of the road because we can't ask our teenagers to kill the good desires that God's put in their heart, right? They have a desire for relationship. That's a good thing. As parents, we're supposed to put guardrails on this thing and safely drive them towards what godly relationships look like. All the enemy is doing is he's taking a really good desire and he's manipulating it into something immoral and sexual and out of control. We need to allow our children to develop, but we need to do it in a safe way where we're pointing them towards what godly relationships look like. There's a, there's a young, young girl, me and my wife, uh, we were doing the strength and conditioning program for our local high school over this summer, and there was a young girl that was uh, in one of my, my wife's uh, classes one afternoon, and I'm in there, and I'm helping out, and in the middle of workouts, I'm hearing this phone go off, and it's just ringing and ringing and ringing. If I'm like, whose phone is that? And this little girl raises her hand, and she's like, it's my phone. And so I went, and I picked it up, and I was like, who's this? And she's like, oh, that's my boyfriend. And I was like, okay, click. All right, good. Continuing the workout. Ring, ring. The phone's going off again. I pick it up. It's like, your boyfriend's calling again. Oh, yeah, I'll call him back later on. Put it on silent, put it down again. 60 seconds later. Ring, ring, ring. I pick it up and I say, hey, she's in the middle of the workout right now. You're going to have to call back, all right? And I hung up the phone. I figured that would solve it. About three minutes goes by. Ring, ring, ring. I go over and I pick that phone. I see his name. It's like Josh or something. I'm like, hey, Josh, how about you quit being so insecure? You put down that phone and stop calling. She's going to call you when she's done, all right? And I hung up on him again. Thought for sure that would solve it. Three minutes later, ring, ring, ring. I picked it up. I said, if you call this number again, I'm going to come find you and make you put this phone down. He goes, uh, uh, um, well, tell her that me and her dad are going to get lunch right now, and if she doesn't come on, then we're going to have to leave her. I was like, what? Listen, if you're dating your daughter's boyfriend more than she's dating him, there's an issue. If you're taking that boy to lunch and taking him on hunting trips and all these other things and you're dating him more than your daughter is, what have you created? There's, there's no safe boundaries in that relationship because you can really miscommunicate how comfortable you are with intimacy in a relationship by what you allow to take place in that home. Oh, well, you know, mom and dad just kind of treat you like you're already part of the family and they kind of treat us like we're already married. So I can guess we can just do what married couples do because that's how we're already being treated. We have to have those boundaries in place. I don't know if people realize that also, but what if that young woman wants out of that relationship? You've just locked your daughter into a relationship she no longer has a desire to be in, but now it's like, man, 
dad and him are good buddies and they like to go hunting and fishing together and they do all this stuff and I I know I'm gonna break his heart and let him down but now I'm gonna break dad's heart too and so she just feels stuck because dad failed to keep good boundaries in the home until you're ready for your child to pursue the person with the intention of marriage then there's no need to involve them in family events there's family and there's everything else if what you're doing with your family would not reasonably involve any other friend or anybody else who could attend, then they probably don't need to be a part of that. Until that time comes as a father, it's your job to make these boundaries firm, clear, and distinct and make it a safe place for your child to develop into a godly husband or wife for their spouse one day. It means no Christmases, no Thanksgiving, no family game nights. That's sacred space for your family to be together and create intimacy and bond with you alone, not to bring in outsiders just so you can appease your child or make them feel a part of it, all right? Set clear boundaries. Just to wrap this up, if you guys, if you think about boundaries in parenting and, and what that looks like, think about like the form work on a construction job. You have all this wood formwork that's in place when the concrete's poured and it's soft and it's moldable and it's put there in place as a structure until that foundation hardens and it's able to bear weight on its own. That's what you guys are as parents. You're putting structures and boundaries in place in the time of your children's life where they're moldable and they're fluid and, and everything's kind of moving, but as long as those boundaries and those structures are in place for a long enough season, they're going to live inside of those boundaries, inside of that structure, and they're going to be hardened and they're going to become firm and they're going to become firm in their identity in Christ and they're going to know who they are. And then one day they're going to be so solid that you're going to be able to remove your structure and they're going to live in their own structure, in their own identity, and they're going to be able to bear weight. Does that make sense? I'll leave you guys with this passage from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9 through 11. Hebrews 12, 9 through 11. It says, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. As husbands and fathers, it is not easy to keep boundaries in the home. It's not fruit. It's not cupcakes. It's hard work. And a lot of times it is painful. And at the same time, our children are living under our discipline. We're living under the discipline of the Lord. And as we chastise them and keep them under our control, God chastises us and he's pushing us in his discipline as well. And so in this process, it's not just our children who are being sanctified, but we have to be sanctified as well. Our personal holiness matters to our children. We have to be growing in the Lord so that we can teach our children to grow in the Lord. And we have to be intentional in relationships so one day they'll be intentional as well. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.